The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 161, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Years Strict Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Two weeks left. John and I are tied. 140 and 84 on the season picking games you don't want things to come down to week 17 michael teams do weird things in week 17 that's right i blew a lead last year and this year i had a lead i've had a lead for the entire year and then john passed me the last couple weeks it's now back to tide i cannot blow a lead in two consecutive years can't do it i'm the real winner by not participating in these picks thus exposing myself to the being beaten by the majority of the bgn staff last year the community ended up beating me and that was despicable (laughs) this year they're like three or four games behind so we're chilling the big week for ben and john to the death we got we to gotta talk about some recent news with the Eagles before we get into the film review of Eagles Washington. We broke the film down. We're going to have all of the takes for you, give you some of our takeaways from that game. But look, I don't care about the Pro Bowl, which is famous for sending Mitch Trubisky as a 17th alternate in 2018, also for having Trevor Simeon decline his invite in 2017. But five Eagles made it, and it's exactly who you would expect. You know, Brandon Brooks, Fletcher Cox, Zach Ertz, Rick Lovato, the long snapper. He got in there, which, you know, that may be a little bit of a surprise. And there's one. This is just residual John Dorenboss appreciation. This is just the voters (laughs) having no idea how long snapping even works. And that's the fan voters and the NFL voters and the media voters. That's everybody being like, well, the Eagles old long snapper was really good. And now they have a new one. And it doesn't seem like they've gotten worse at punting. So he must also be really good. Also, I liked John Dorenboss when he was on America's Gone Talent. Let's send Rick Lovato to this, the Pro Bowl. That's exactly how that happened. Not to take anything away from Rick, but that's exactly what happened. Lovato has been perfect. Like, you don't hear right. his name you at all. never think about your long snapper. Exactly. Uh, also, J- Jason Kelsey is not a snub this year. He makes his Pro Bowl. It's his It's his third one. Ben, any thoughts on this? If, if you want the floor, you have about 20 seconds before Jason I Jason Kelsey out. had a worse year this year than he did last year, and he... 
doesn't make right. it last year and he makes it the interim. It's nothing. It's real. Like, Lane what? Johnson doesn't make it after signing an extension for being literally the highest paid tackle in the league or whatever it is. <laughs> Let's have all our own Pro Bowl and invite all of our own friends and we don't even want to play with you guys. That's my opinion on the Pro Bowl is that I think players are good and I don't watch enough of them to care about how they good they are relatively. And I'm happy with the good players that I get to watch. And look, good for them. It's it's a nice little, little bonus check for them or whatever it is, or trip to – what is it? Is it still in Hawaii? It's not – I don't even know where the game is now. Orlando, Hawaii, whatever it is. Anyway, we have news on the Eagles front that's more important than the Pro Bowl. Camus Grugier-Hill has been placed on IR uh, this this is from a uh, BLG. May he forever rain. A tweet from him. Doug Peterson sees a bigger role for undrafted rookie linebacker TJ Edwards moving forward with Camus Grugier Hill's season-ending Bless. injury. Doug says that losing Camus is quote unquote huge. Definitely somebody that we're going to miss. Something went wrong with his back. He reported back pains uh, in the Washington game. And then they shut him down for the rest of the season. There's there's a disc issue there. Uh, quickly on Edwards, who Doug mentioned there, but of course Duke Riley is going to have a role to play in this as well. But Edwards, in my opinion, like okay, he's the highest graded linebacker per PFF. The guy doesn't have that many snaps. Wait, he's PFF's number one linebacker for the, oh, Eagles. the Eagles. Like he's got like a 91 or 92 grade. Like he's played less than 100 snaps. So whatever. I mean, he's played decent in his role. As we've said, like he's fine for what he is, but I do not have confidence that an expanded role is going to be a good look for him. And I still think they're going to try to hide him. There's a reason that 72 of his 95 snaps are against the run. This is the same way that the Eagles protected and used Danelle Ellerby during his stint with Philly back in 2017, who had 53 of his 76 regular season snaps come against the run and was a similarly limited player athletically. So that concerns me if he has to take on a bigger role. Ben, what's your takeaway on uh, on Camus, who was the, the breakout candidate of 2019, is now broken? Yeah, I mean, so Camus, I think when, when you were looking at like weeks... Seven, eight, nine, ten, right where it was. Bradham, Gary. I mean, not even then because those weeks Bradham was out. You should. We should probably say like you know weeks twelve, thirteen, right, which were mm. uh, Bradham was healthy, Gary was healthy, Camus was healthy. Bradham was still the starter. Like when he's healthy, he's taking one hundred percent of the snaps. And then typically, like Gary was taking more snaps than Camus when the two of them were healthy. Gary's the one who didn't come off the field, so Camus was already be being treated like linebacker three by this team. Now. He's not linebacker three in our hearts. He's linebacker two. <laughs> this is a we're losing a guy who was taking anywhere from thirty to fifty percent of the snaps, depending on matchup and depending on who was healthy in front of him. Right. So you put more TJ Edwards in. Okay. Edwards grades highly because Edwards can't get to plays in which he won't grade well. <laughs> Edwards right. he, he grades well because the plays that he's able to impact happen like between the tackles, and he's effective there. He can't go and miss tackles on outside runs he can't get to. Because he's not fast enough. He doesn't have the sideline to sideline yeah. range, period. Right. So I obviously, I don't know how PFF grades their linebackers. So I may be like, you know, criticizing a grading system incorrectly. But this going to say, really feels like a great time to have LJ4 on the roster. I was going to say, I was going to say. Here's the thing about LJ4. Ugh. We knew. <laughs> Sorry, but we did. We did. I pounded the table for this guy so freaking hard in the offseason. Yeah, I, was, I, I should have been that. You knew. I was like, yeah, yeah. LJ Ford's good. You were the one who was really in on him. Before the Eagles even signed him, I was at the end of the season, I was saying, look, if the Steelers don't retain this guy, because he got starting snaps for the Steelers at the end of the season due to injury, the Steelers were dum-dums and were playing idiots over him. And then finally, when he got a chance to start, he played really, really well. And I was like, yo, 
The Steelers don't bring this guy back. Like, this is the guy I'm targeting. They targeted him. Then they didn't play him at all. Then they cut him. He goes to Baltimore. And then from what we heard, the Eagles then tried to trade back for him. They tried to train Zach Brown for LJ Fort before they cut Zach Brown. That didn't go through. He starts for Baltimore. He looks great in Baltimore. Looks really got good. Got an extension. And they extended him. The guy got paid. We could really use that. I think if you if, if you want to make a case for there being a rift between the front office and the defensive coaching staff, that's it right, it's right there. there. Yep. Right. That's it. Whoever it was who was like, let's keep Brown and continue to take a look at him and send Ford away. Whoever wasn't made that decision, got to go. That ain't yeah. it. Anybody could have told you. Yeah. What should we expect then? Well, if TJ Edwards sees the increase of snaps as Doug has predicted, uh, then he takes them as the mic. And accordingly, Nate Gary plays more Will. Nigel Bradham plays more Sam. You have to be careful with that because Bradham has been successful dropping into deep middle zones in Tampa too as the Mike this year. Edwards can't do that. So you got to find a way yeah. to get Bradham into those zones. You'd rather have Edwards be, I guess, a curl flat zone. But even then, he's going to be picked on. And, you know, there was an increase in snaps for TJ Edwards in the two weeks that that Grugier Hill has been limited, right? He took seven snaps and eight snaps uh, in the last two weeks. That was when Grugier Hill was out and then when he barely took any snaps in this past game. Not a huge amount, but it's still the third most of linebackers in this week. Eagles primarily just played Bradham Gary as their base. The other player who saw an increase of snaps is Duke Riley, who took six snaps in this past game in lieu of Grugier Hill, who was generally unhealthy for the entire game. Riley steps in as the will, which is nice because that then allows you to either put Gary at Mike and Bradham at Sam, probably the way they would want to do it. Um, and I think that's better for your zones. It's better for your underneath coverage and cover three. Um, but it's still neither of them are a great situation. I prefer Duke Riley to TJ Edwards. But to me, like once we once we're splitting hairs between TJ Edwards and, and Duke Riley, we'll leave it at that. And we can kind of transition to the film review here since this is a good jumping off point. Look, as we get into this film review, the, the, I want to make sure I say this, so I'm kind of like doing a harsh transition here. The thing I regret most about the game-winning Greg Ward touchdown is that I missed the chance to dunk on Josh Norman for being overrated and washed. Yeah, that's the that's the one point I really wanted to get out there. We I could end the show right now. I wanted to get that out there, Ben. As you went through the film, what are some like off the top, maybe overall thoughts that you had when you watched this? To me, they had McLeod down in the box more frequently than I was accustomed to. And he made a, a play on, a, on I think, a screen pass in the third quarter. Where I was like, oh, shoot, Jenkins, nice play. And then it wasn't. It was McLeod. <laughs> and I was like, hey, that was fun. <laughs> um, because McLeod has not made good plays from single high this year. And no, he hasn't. Yeah, no, he's 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 struggled from single high this year. And accordingly, I think it was good to see him make some quality plays up at the box. He's still like, I think, got good instincts. I just don't think athletically he's what he was. And I mean, he was not signed to an extension. Uh, his contract was 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 abbreviated following his injury. It does not seem like they're invested long term in in Rodney McLeod. But yeah, to me, the player who I thought got yeah, they've been getting more involved over the past couple weeks has been Marcus Epps. As single yeah. high, which fun fact, the player the Vikings cut to sign Andrew Sandejo turns out he's not very good. <laughs> um, not, he's man. physical. He reminds me a lot of Trey Sullivan in terms of he runs around, and he hits you, and that's that's good and that's fun. Um, but in general, I don't think that he's uh, uh, an impact player that you look at as a potential developmental starter. I mean, I'm I'm gonna broken record this, but the Eagles continue to need to invest in a young safety for nickel and dime sets because. 
for multiple years now, we've done the Corey Graham, Trey Sullivan, Andrew Sandejo, Marcus Epps show, and just none of all these players are liabilities. None of them are impact players. You got to start taking the safety position seriously if you're going to be playing Malcolm Jenkins as a linebacker, which is what they do. Keeping it on the defensive side of the ball, since that's, that's where we kind of started. Just some notes. Brandon Graham, I thought he had a pretty doggone good game. PFF had him graded low, which was weird because for me, like they also credited him with four pressures and five run stops. Like from the first drive, you could see that he was pushing the pocket when he was kicked in, closing down the backside, being stout in general. Along that defensive line, another solid game for Josh Sweat on limited reps, especially against the run, even though he had five snaps in those situations. Like, for instance, quarter three, 624 on first and 10, stands out where he resets the line of scrimmage, combines with Cox for a tackle for loss. Like, someone asked us if he was playing better ball than Derek Barnett had been to this point. I think it's at the very least an argument. I think it's a conversation, right? So, yeah, you responded to that. I quote tweeted that, and I don't think you see it because I quote tweeted it. But I said, no, I don't think so. I'll tell you this. I think that Josh Sweat, his year two is at the very least comparable to Derek Barnett's year two in terms of their impact and their skill. And I think there's a Mm. good case to be made that Josh Sweat's year two, which is right now, is better than Derek Barnett's year two was in terms of the quality of film he's putting out. Now, Barnett's film this year is better than it was in Barnett's year two. Barnett's year three is better, which he took a step forward from year one to year two and a step forward from year two to year three. That should not be taken uh, for granted. That's not something that always happens. I've also had a few people say after I posted some edge pass rush productivity analytics from PFF that have Barnett ranked as the worst edge rusher on the Eagles out of guys that have taken at least 20% of the the pass rushing snaps. Uh, They said that the pass rush hasn't looked the same with Barnett out. And again, there's the context of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Eli Manning, Dwayne Haskins all getting the ball out within 2.45 seconds or less. Yeah, what was... Oh, I forgot to look at Dwayne Haskins' time to throw. What was it? Can I guess? Yeah. Okay. You already know it's 2.5 or 2.45 or less. Right. I would guess it was like 2.43. It was either 2.44 or 2.45. I, I I forget which one of him and Manning, Manning was was one of those. So you're, you're there by like 0.01. Because, look, I mean, they got after... This is, again, the conversation we talk about with pass rush, first coverage, first time to release and all that stuff. Whenever Jim Schwartz says, that, you know, they didn't get after the quarterback, the first thing he wants on his desk was how quickly the quarterback got rid of the ball. And, like, the quick game stuff was there for Washington, even though I thought, you know, the, the Eagles put a good amount of pressure on him. So that can alter your perception a bit when you're watching it live. And really to expand a point that you made a week ago, like, for instance, the DPI against Jalen Mills on Kelvin Harmon at 9.48 in the second quarter. Low time to throw doesn't always mean quick game either. We saw that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think that's my motto for the year. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that ball is thrown 14 yards down the field on a one-step drop. Two plays later, three-step drop. Washington gets Steven Sims wide open on a post wheel. Those are easy throws that only required like a slight step away from Vinnie Curry, who was getting penetration. You don't watch that play and say, dang, good pressure there. You watch it and say, what the hell is the coverage doing? And there were some issues for the Eagles yet again in coverage. And thankfully, like even though they got gashed a bit, they were playing Dwayne Haskins because he couldn't take advantage of them all. Yeah, I think you can look at this game and very easily like, you know, throw it in a like, once again, <laughs> you know, it's very much a once again game. Once again, the Eagles struggled with with uh, coverage pass offs in the secondary. The Eagles struggled in man on man coverage on the outside. Once again... Carson, 
ball security. Yeah. Even worse than I thought it was going to be. Did you see my thread on that? I like, okay, quarter four, yeah. 1453. I already know what this is. This is, this was not the fumble that Washington recovered to tie the game. This is a fumble inside of the, the Eagles 20 that could have been recovered. It was also forced by Ryan Anderson. So Carson Wentz is on a, a naked boot. I love it. I'm so happy to see it. This is exactly what I wanted the Eagles to do. But if they knew that Carson was going to act this way on these plays, I'm not surprised that they haven't done it for 15 weeks. Um, so yeah. play action rolls out. Again, there's no protection. This is a naked boot. Ryan Anderson does a really nice job as the uh, unblocked man, recognizing that this is likely play action and immediately closing on Carson Wentz. But the, the second Carson Wentz turns his head, there's pressure. So we acknowledge that. The second Carson Wentz turns his head, there's pressure. There's nothing he did to invite pressure. This is not his fault. This is He's an unblocked man who made a really good play. They were trying to take him out via scheme. They were unable to do so. And also, when you get that rollout, if you get immediate pressure, that throw comes quick to the flats, but that is covered immediately. So Carson now has nowhere to go with the ball. Yeah, I mean, because they're they're blitzing into it. And that's what right. frees up Ryan Anderson to do it, right? So like the, the Redskins are in a great play call for this. Yeah. But honestly, that's helpful because it helps us understand just how confident slash foolhardy slash unnecessarily audacious... <laughs> Carson is because the right. second you turn and you see Ryan Anderson bearing down on you and there's no way you can throw the flat uncovered, you've lost the play, right? Yep. And and there's a maturity that you need to have, a uh, next play mentality you need to have to accept that. Carson ducks the Ryan Anderson pressure and then proceeds to try to set his feet and throw the football down the field. Like where? Now, <laughs> at no point in time does Ryan Anderson stop being in contact with him? So Carson ducks Ryan Anderson. Anderson does not go like flying by him. Anderson grabs him around the waist. So Anderson's holding on to him. And Carson tries to set his feet, release and throw the football. You're in the grasp. What are you thinking? Mm -hmm. Stop it. You can't. And like, this is the thing is like, oh, they're like, you know, uh, and like that Jordan Matthews throw from 2017, I think it was, where he's like falling over and he throws like a 15-yard crosser. Jordan Matthews like hits him in the hand. It might have been 2016, if memory serves, like his rookie year. These are incredible plays, but you can't do this. Yeah. Because when you do, you you're 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 in the grasp. He has you. You can't separate your hands off the ball and try to throw it. You're not going to throw an accurate pass at the best. It's it's not like you're moving forward and someone gets your lower half right. and you fall and you throw it. You're literally standing there with a guy on your back. And the the thing that I posted on my timeline, I posted I went through all of the fumbles from this year and some of them are silly. Like that stupid Miles Sanders sprint draw type thing where it gets blown up and Halapulivati Vatai doesn't know what he's doing and Sanders gets too wide on 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 his initial arc and and all that stuff. That that stuff's dumb. Some of the fumbles accredited to him are just low snaps, right? Like the one he recovered where he replaced where the run was supposed to go, ended up getting two yards. That was nice. That counts as a fumble towards him. But there are too many instances that I saw, and I put all these up. I put the all-22 look from the end zone angle, and then I put the slow motion replay from the broadcast angle for each one to show how many times it was a play that was either just dead, and Carson you know, is trying to make a play when there's nothing there, or he takes his hand off the ball. And after that, I posted the thing that you keep alluding to, Gruden's QB camp, where he talks about two-handed monster, and he's showing him clips of Carson Palmer saying, look, watch him move through the pocket. He's got two hands on the ball. Carson's like, yeah, we want to end every drive with a kick. A punt, a field goal, or an extra point. We want to drive. 
you know, every, every drive needs to end with a kick. And I think he's lost some of that. And I think some of those mechanics and, and the, the thought process that he's going through right now with the, the lack of weapons and a lot of it's being put on his back. And we've seen him press before has kind of led to the, the evolution to where we, where we are now, where he's regressed, where he isn't protecting the ball as much. To me, again, this is not a, you can't have your cake and eat it too situation. There are very clear situations where he either needs to protect the ball when he's moving through the pocket because it's poor fundamentals, or he just needs to recognize the play is dead because the throw he's trying to make in this play that you're talking about, there is no throw. It is first down. Right. Take the sack. The, the, the reason that I think is like this play is particularly important is because it's naked boot, which means yep. like it is a coaching point that like if you turn and you're you're like, this is a gambit. Like, we're hoping we can get them to be over aggressive on the edge so that you roll out into no blocking, but a ton of space and a half field to read. This is why I like these plays. And like, if you watch Greg Ward, who's on the play side, is running a deep post. Carson would love to half roll this, then set his feet and fire back across his body, you know, 40 yards down the field, over 60 yards in the air, and try to hit Greg Ward on this deep post for 45 yards. That's the whole idea, right? And like, Carson's uniquely talented in terms of his strength and his accuracy to make this throw but there's like there is a coaching point like if you turn around it's there eat it this is naked boot if they've got you they've got you so this is this situation where it's not even like carson's like in the pocket and then one of his offensive linemen loses and he's like oh i can still salvage this no this is you're gonna turn around if there's a dude in your face it's done suck it you can't do it (laughs) right and and so that's what's that's why i say like the the audacity like like carson's trying to make a play here that like Yes, he's capable of making, but you're just going to lose this a lot more than you're going to win it. And in this case, I mean, that ball gets stripped and it dribbles out right in front of Halabulivati Vaitai. If it dribbles anywhere else, this could have been a, a, a scoop and score. This could yeah, have been Eagles down by 10 I'm, or by 11. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, so this, this is why, like, you, you can't be doing this. And then you say, all right, well, like, Ben, it's one play, calm down. Yeah, well, the problem is we're going to go one drive in the future and at almost nearly the exact same yardage location by almost nearly by the exact same player. Carson Wentz is going to separate his hands while he's moving in the pocket. He's going to get stripped from behind. He's going to fumble the football. So we had, that, like I said, at the beginning of this spiel, and I know we were talking defense, so I apologize for, for moving us off it, but it's, it's all good. This is a once again game. The Eagles won this game, and it was an impressive game. But this is like the Green Bay game. They won a week four. They didn't solve the problems. Just the other aspects of, of the team, the other aspects of the system stepped up to better account for the issues. And that's what you have to do when you're a team in the NFL. You're going to have problems. You got to be able to mask them. Um, but, but the Eagles issues have not gone away. And so unless you're going to get what I thought was a generally tremendous passing performance from Carson Wentz yeah. week in and week out, we you, you're going to be given the opposing team short fields you're going to be limiting your number of drives you're gonna be taking the wind out of the sails of your defense you can't be doing this stuff and that's why we're putting such a big emphasis like you said i thought it was a tremendous passing game from carson wentz this this is the performance that we wanted when unconscious in the last drive and whatnot if those issues aren't cleaned up i mean you can't turn the ball over against dallas you expect this eagles defense to limit dallas not getting a track meet with them you got to take advantage of every single you know possession that you have and not give free points to them period Right, and I think if you look at what the Eagles did defensively in terms of X's and O's, I thought they pitched more change-ups than they usually do, which, man, is mm. this officially a Jim Schwartz thing now to like get to week 13 and be like, what if I try something different? And we're all here like, yeah. 
We were asking for this in week five, brother. Um, but but the Eagles pitched changeups. I thought they did a good job. I thought there was more pattern matching than I was accustomed to. There were several plays where you know I'm watching for the first couple uh, of seconds, just scrubbing back and forth, going right. He's going here and he's going there, and this is man coverage on the backside. And so you know, like they did some some more complex stuff than they usually do, and that could be a result of their pretty healthy on the back end which is a new thing now obviously Camus goes down Ronald Darby also goes down during this game but for the first half they're pretty healthy so maybe you you now are able to run some more complex stuff they changed up some of the technique they use with their outside corners uh they did some invert cover two stuff with guys in the flat squatting on slant routes which was successful uh made some tight window throws forced Haskins to move off of stuff uh, I thought that that middle of the field robbers, namely Malcolm Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod, did a better job reading route concepts, being aggressive, closing downhill, not exposing deep corners. I think did a better job playing safe when they were when they were in deep half coverage. So I think the secondary overall like did different things and did them better than they usually do. You're about to go play Dallas, and the thing about Randall Cobb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper is that they're not Stephen Sims, Kelvin Harmon, and Terry McLaurin, right? And McLaurin's a good ball player. But this is a is a different cat, right? This is a different breed in terms of the receivers you're going to be facing. And then the Cowboys, like the, the, the Redskins, I thought did a good job with pre-snap motion, giving you things that you had, uh, had to understand, had to check into, had to look at. They won a few plays off of it. The Terry McLaurin touchdown was 100% the, re- the result of pre-snap motion. Um, but the Cowboys do way more of that than the Redskins do, and they do it with more versatility as well. So this was a foretaste of what you're going to have to deal with in Dallas. Better execution of better scheme. You, you know, it, it, it's promising what we saw from the Eagles secondary, but there's a much, much, much bigger test awaiting you, you know, three days down the road. 100% agree with you. And we're going to cover that on the next Kiss and Solak show as we preview this game with Dallas. A couple quick notes before we hit break here, just to kind of capitalize on a point that you made about McLeod being a hold defender. I thought quarter three, 1245, McLeod is the hold defender here. He totally abandons his coverage and he closes down on a, on a third and six to get a this stuff was the on one. a scramble. This was the play where I thought it was Jenkins. I was like, oh, yeah, Malk. Yeah. And then it was not. <laughs> So great job of McLeod on that one. Uh, Nate Gary, for me, perpetually late to get connected in his man coverage and, and zone coverage. He was locked into Haskins' eyes, and it led to separation of poor tackling angles. Want to see the best play in the history of football? Which which play? Is it by Gary? Yes. Well, when okay, when I understand when I say Nate Gary made the best play in the history of football, I'm not talking about actual quality. I'm talking about my entertainment. Uh, quarter two, 146. Okay, turn your books to quarter two, 146. Eagles are in cover two. Uh, they're going to be calling timeouts. They're going to be, uh, you know, this is a situation where they're going to be trying to stop the clock, trying to get the ball back. It's late in the second quarter. Redskins are at their own nine. Uh, they run literally like all curls, all outs. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's everybody's breaking at five yards, six yards down the field. Nate Gary. <laughs> this is he, one of the places why I, this is why I put this down. This note that I just had on him. Go ahead. Were he a functional zone defender yeah would have scored six points on this play i agree he's all over this he's like to, like but he's so locked in on haskins he doesn't get he where he needs to be knows exactly what's going to happen right and <laughs> in that he knows exactly what's going to happen he gives up a six yard completion now <laughs> i will say haskins puts a really nice ball out here he throws it away from leverage where only his receiver can go get it sprinkle makes a nice catch six yard gain but, but this is Luke Falk at six. Tight end Jeremy Sprinkle is literally running a six-yard outbreaking route. Gary is looking in the backfield. Haskins never looks away from him. Never. Yep. Never. He's looking, and he's his hallway is set for an outbreaking route. Jeremy uh, Gary's got inside leverage. Sprinkle's breaking outside. This is outside breaker all the way. And Gary just sits in his side shuffle. He just sits in his strafe 
until the Ugh. ball is halfway there. Like, fire and your gun. I could not tell you why. Like, I watched this 10,000 times to be like, did, did he trip over Sprinkle? Did, like, was, did his feet get tied up? Like, what happened? And it's just, I don't know. Like, it's just like, he knows this ball is coming. There's no other place Haskins is going. Haskins has a pretty long release motion. There's pressure coming, so there's no way Haskins is pulling this ball down. This, I mean, I, like, I firmly believe if you put Malcolm Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, LJ Fort, maybe, uh, um... You know, Avante Maddox, you put any of these guys over this, this is a pass breakup at worst. But Gary just like sits on, he's like, this ball's going to come, this ball's going to come, this ball's going to come. Yep, it came. Catch. Good play. Like, I I can't even be mad. Like, I just like, yes, you're a limited player who does not make these plays. And you're still out here. And it's not even your fault anymore. So when we come back here on the Kissed and Solak show, we'll move on from Nate Gary. We'll talk about some of the things we found interesting about this film that's coming up next here on the Kissed and Solak show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kissed and Solak Show episode 161. We're breaking down the film of the Eagles in Washington. The Eagles, of course, win this one. Late game heroics by Carson Wentz. Ben, I found the uh, the matchups along the interior super interesting to watch throughout this game. And I wanted to bring up two matchups that we had kind of previewed going into the game. Number one, Jason Kelsey versus Deron Payne. Super, super fun watch. Kelsey, at, at one point, and I said this on the timeline, but like, trying to anchor, like just squeezing every ounce of technique and flexibility in his body to be able to anchor against Payne, who's a strong dude and probably had one of his better performances against Kelsey. Like you said in the previous show, matches up well versus Kelsey, the type that Kelsey tends to struggle against, but typically hasn't. I thought Deron Payne was uh, giving him fits in this game and drove Kelsey back into Carson a couple times as well. Siamalu versus Allen is what I said. This is dangerous, even though Allen isn't playing all that well. Boy, did Siamalu get put on skates by Allen a few times. What do you think about the battles in the interior there? Probably one of the worst games I've seen Kelsey play in a bit. I agree. Now, yeah. why? Payne and Allen are good ball players. Yeah. But Kelsey's getting old. You know, like Kelsey's. <laughs> He's and like he's still a good player, and if he wants to come back and play next year, he's going to be better than most of the options the Eagles have at interior offensive line. But I think he's going to retire. Like you think, even with the, with the way that they redid his contract, I thought that was a vote of confidence for him coming back at least another year. Sure, but <laughs> that feels a lot like a better idea in the spring than it does in <laughs> December when you've been playing fifteen <laughs> weeks of football, right? Because the thing is that like with Kelsey, you can see 
the weeks kind of sitting on him a little bit. And he's still nimble. He's still quick. He's still smart. He's still fired up. But his, yeah, his, his anchor is just not what it was like in week two, let alone yep. like a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. So, and I'm then, like I said, like, like, like Payne beat him up. Allen also beat him up a little bit when Allen was put over the, put over the center. I thought Sam Allo generally had a good game. I agree that Allen won a couple reps. Think about Allen as he wins a couple reps. You know, I mean, you, you could be 320, 330. He's going to win a couple reps. Uh, Sam Allo, I was generally impressed. You know, had a good game, and we got to we got to take the lump on it. Oh boy, Big V Ooh. played well. Big V did play well. Yeah, I didn't notice well. him. I, the the only one I noticed him on was the sim pressure, where it looks like there was a miscommunication issue where Brooks talked with him after the snap. That was the I think it was the third and three scramble where Carson Wentz recognized it. Like, Is that where he picked up four on third and three near the goal line? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that was the only one where I really noticed Vital like mm, a little suspect there, but but overall. I thought he was fine. I thought he was totally fine. Yeah, that was quarter one, 306. Right, and he steps up, and he doubles with Brooks. Spot concept. There's a seven-man yeah, pressure. Edge, they get a free rusher off, off the edge. right? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the greatest... So this is a good example of Carson Wentz stepping up and making a play. You want to see a good example of Carson Wentz stepping up and not making a play? In two Do plays I? beforehand. Quarter one, 352. Want to talk about pocket management. Hmm. This is a uh, Carson Wentz checks the play at the line, which, by the way, and I, we we're going to talk about why Carson Wentz is good. I know I'm picking on him a little bit, but he had a good game generally. One of the reasons why he was good is because he got to check a lot of plays at the line, and he did so with a lot of success. He was really, really good pre-snap. So checks play at the line. He's sending Zach Ertz on a deep bender from the number three on the strong side. So he anticipates getting Zach Ertz matched up with a linebacker down the field in the back of the end zone. That's exactly what he gets. Now that linebacker ends up being Cole Holcomb, who man, Cole Holcomb's quickly become one of my favorite players in the NFL. This cat can play. Fifth round, one last pick in the fifth round, starting linebacker for the Washington Redskins. And he's playing out of his mind. But anyway, so Zach Ertz, Cole Holcomb, that's an advantage. Doesn't matter who linebacker is on a deep over. Carson Wentz hits the top of his drop. There's outside pressure coming off of Big V. There's outside pressure coming off of Jason Peters. The rest of the rushers have all worked to outside rush lanes. There's a huge gap, big A gap for Carson Wentz to step up in. All he's got to do is keep his throwing. You know, this is a drill you've seen a thousand times. Keep the ball cocked in a ready to throw position. Keep your hips and feet square to the sideline. Be ready to release down the field. Hitch, 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 and throw. So you hitch up into space and then you throw on time. I Carson Wentz waddles like a duck. I got no idea what this is. It's like he's posing on a stool. He looks like <laughs> he's thinking about running, right? He's like, yeah. aha, right. there's a lot of room. Maybe I'm going to run, but Zach Ertz is open against Holcomb and I want this throw. Now I'm going to throw it. And so he throws it on the run, but he's running forward and there's nobody pressuring him, right? Yep. So this is, it, it, you, if you just chill in the pocket, hitch, hitch and throw or tuck and run. Either one would be positive play. And this is nearly a touchdown, Zacherts. This is a pretty good ball. It's a little bit long. Zacherts isn't able to get there. But if you just sit in your hitch and you throw this in rhythm with your footwork from a natural throwing motion, better chance this is an accurate football. And it, it was it was too long. So this is a case where you watch this and it's just like like Carson. It's just it's a, it's a it's an alley up the middle. This is a, a pocket passer's dream. If you're gonna be an NFL quarterback. You're going to have to be able to function in this sort of a situation where you can step up into an opening pocket and make throws across the middle. That's not a big ask. But he like, again, like he like half thinks he's going to run and then he ends up throwing from a completely weird angle and it's, and it's inaccurate. And I, and I think it's more forgivable if this was like a late read, like all of a sudden he sees Ertz and he decides to throw it. This is like you said, he checked into this. This is what he wanted. You got what you wanted. Right. And that's probably why he doesn't want to run it. It's because he got the matchup he thought he was going to get and he wants to throw it. And the thing is like... Just- 
Standard five inches off of this and it's a touchdown it's an insane covered uncovered throw you mm. know you can actually say quite a similar thing to the play that he caught a lot of flack for which was the incompletion deep to zach Ertz in washington territory where he barely put it over him this is 823 in the third quarter uh that is a four verts concept and he's got zach Ertz now he needs to look off the safety and come backside in Dallas Goddard because it's the middle of the field safety against two seam routes. If you're going to stare one direction, throw the other direction. Um, but this is a beautiful ball. I mean, this is, I would call this perfect placement. It is incomplete. Zachary doesn't get a hand on it. It's perfect because he's throwing covered on covered, sees the back of the defender, put it over the top of his head. If Zacherts is able to find this ball a half second sooner, Zacherts would have flipped his hips, elevated and caught this football in the air. Zacherts doesn't jump. He tries to catch it over the shoulder and he's unable to. This is a perfect football. You know what I mean? So like he had bare misses with Zacherts twice in the end zone. Again, these are, these are plays where like, oh, Carson Wentz is inaccurate. No, he's not. He's really just not an inaccurate quarterback. Misses. Talk about why. I think the second one was just a matter of, of placement, timing, receiver finding the route he should have flipped his hips and jumped he wasn't able to the first one is the one where the pocket management concerns me let's talk about a couple uh jjaw routes here and not not the post one i think that was a little bit tipped and probably should have caught that and whatnot i I thought overall it was a disappointing game he got a lot of flack for one bit i I wanted to get your opinion on this because i I didn't really understand why why he was so criticized for it let's go to uh quarter one 131 the eagles are at the washington seven it's third and seven and this is the one where like jjaw is going to the back of the end zone like the the defender that's covering him he's a linebacker here he's got open hips to him and he's just kind of carrying the route here. I just think this is an issue where Washington made a good play and had good coverage. Like on the top, on the top, you see that they're double covering. By the way, this was the open hips to Zach Ertz game because Landon Collins was very interested in paying extra attention to him. So I thought Washington really paid it a lot of extra attention point. to Zach Ertz, especially in the red zone. But Ortega Whiteside here, he's covered. I, I, I don't think he needs to try to cross face. I think he kind of holds up to be like, okay, if you want to throw this behind me, maybe there's a window there. And he just doesn't realize that the ball is thrown. Would you agree with that? I think this is a 100% perfect example of a quarterback and a wide receiver who haven't played together a lot and haven't thrown this route a lot. Like, all right, if you're getting pressure here, like, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? I'm just going to try to throw it at his back. Like, can you work backside? Well, no, like, I'd rather post him up and then you throw it to my front side and I flip my shoulders and I catch it away from my frame. And this is how I want to take it, right? Because it's worth noting. So the, the Redskins play four over three on the bunch on this rep, right? So the Eagles have a bunch set to the field the wide side of the field they play four over three they're going to match depending on who releases where linebacker john bostick has the first man inside and that ends up being Ortega Whiteside, who's the point man right because he initially has inside leverage this inside breaking route from Ortega Whiteside is very unlikely to uncover from the snap and ideally carson wentz sees that and doesn't throw it but he still tries to throw it so he's clearly expecting either jay jaw to be able to get around this wall off from the linebacker which jay jaw does not at all endeavor to do so if that's an expectation jj messed up or carson Wentz is just trying to slam it into a window when he needs to get off it and come to greg ward on the pivot route on the bottom of the screen because greg ward's a man coverage against outside leverage and the pivot route's going to open up and that's carson's fault but overall like if we just take this route in in a vacuum two players haven't played together in a while they're not on the same page with what they have to do against this coverage on this route and that's the reality of you not playing jj during week six hurts you in week 15 when you need him and that's why I was like, yeah, he's not playing well in the early the beginning of the season, but the best way to ensure he keeps not playing well is not giving him snaps. You got to let the guy play. You got to yeah. let him get reps. You got to let him practice with the quarterback. So this is why uh, this is to me is an example of great inconsistency, lack of communication, 
unfamiliarity and and you know yeah. it's a lot more egregious when it's fourth and two against the seahawks with the game on the line on a mesh concept <laughs> that people don't understand can stop and sit and that's where we all lose our minds nobody really loses their minds over this play because it happens in the first quarter and we have three more quarters of stuff to complain about we have an incredible miles sanders touchdown we have greg ward over josh norman in the corner these are the same things just this one's less high impact and so people don't lose their minds over it but it's miscommunication with the young receiver let's go to quarter four ten forty two this is second and five in the red zone because I thought, talking about J-Jaw here, I thought this was one where a low snap cost him a touchdown because the Eagles are going to run a little spacing concept to the to the right side of the formation. So that's where Wentz's eyes are going to be at first, right? But he gets a low snap. So he reads that, sees that the sees that the sees that Washington has this pretty much covered up pretty well. He doesn't want to throw this to, to Ertz on the outbreaker because he's got that underneath defender there. I totally understand all that. But when you get a low snap, and a quarterback has to drop his eyes, his internal clock is going to speed up because typically, and I think that would be this would be the case on this specific play, he would be able to get backside where JJ Ortega Whiteside eats up Danny Johnson on the top of the screen, who has inside leverage, eats him up, the little hop release there, little jab step, takes his head with him and whatnot, gets eyes, you know, gets his chin back looking at the quarterback like, hey, but I'm open right on the goal line. And just because of that low snap, I don't think Wentz, you know, was able to get there in his progression ends up scrambling. It's fine. They score on the next play because Washington is abysmal against, you know, coverage checks against bunches and Zacherts gets wide open for a touchdown. But I thought that was one play where JJ had an opportunity for a touchdown and just the the circumstances around it really cost him. I agree. And this is another situation I'm pretty sure the Eagles are either in no huddle or they're quick snapping this. But yeah, yeah, like this is a this is a, a spot where if you're Carson, the second you read single high and you know the linebackers taking away Goddard on the sit route, you should know that Greg Ward isn't going to open from the slot and then you immediately come to J-Jaw. So I agree. I think progression-wise, he would have ended up at J-Jaw with a clean pocket and a, and a clean snap. Unfortunately, Montez Sweat smokes Jason Peters off the snap. Jason yeah. Peters, by the way, speaking of getting old, woof. Yeah. But... Uh, so, so low snap, he immediately has to pick up the ball, try to set his eyes, play side, pressure off the backside, and he decides to tuck in and go. So I agree, JJ opens up here against a bad corner on a good route in a situation where he could have been targeted. Of course, it would have been his one reception for three yards and a touchdown in the game, but, you know, we'll take whatever good we can get. Right. I do think there is something important about these two plays we just talked about that I want to bring up, though. Uh, yeah. This, this is quarter four, 10, fifth, uh, 10 42. Eagles have three receivers to the field side near the goal line. Again, linebacker this time it's yes it's john bostic again 53 nope it's 51 who's 51 mike sean Dion hamilton so linebacker 51 walls off the first inside from the three uh the three receiver side and that's dallas goddard uh zacherts and miles sanders they're, they're running their their tight end wing set out of the shotgun so walls first one inside that happens to be dallas goddard we go back to the quarter one play that mike brought up which was third and seven this is 131 left on the clock as i said Bunch set here from Philadelphia. It's Goddard. It's Ortega Whiteside and it's Ward. Uh, linebacker, this time John Bostick, walls off Ortega Whiteside, who's the first inside. When the Eagles come to the Zacherts touchdown and then the Greg Ward touchdown, which are uh, 32 left in the fourth quarter, that's the Greg Ward touchdown, and then mm. 10 02 left in the fourth quarter, that's the Zacherts touchdown. As a uh, friend of the show, good guy, Fran Duffy, appropriately noted, this is a situation where. Both of these plays are the same, 
Zach Ertz uncovers in the first rep. On the second rep, the Redskins fix the coverage issue, but then the Eagles come backside to Greg Ward. The cool thing about this is that this release set against Bunch has Zach Ertz, the innermost player, coming all the way outside. So he's the first outside release. And Greg Ward, the outermost player, is the first inside release. This route distribution is built to screw with the check that the Redskins were running against three receiver sets in the goal line. So that linebacker walling off the first inside from the three receiver set, he's going to read from Ertz, inside man, to Ortega Whiteside, point man, to Greg Ward, outside. Greg Ward, who's been outside in most of these snap sets, gets matched up in man coverage earlier in the game. And so when the Eagles run this concept where they you know, they go flat seven on the play side, Zach Ertz releasing flat, point man, Ortega Whiteside releasing to the, the, the back pylon, they send Greg Ward on the deep crosser and they force that man coverage defender to work through a ton of traffic getting to the backside. So on the Zach Ertz touchdown, Greg Ward was wide open. Yep. And then when we get all the way now down to the Greg Ward touchdown, first and goal, again, the Eagles, it's Zach Ertz, it's J.J. Ortega Whiteside, it's Greg Ward. The Redskins are trying to adjust uh, to, to figure out who's going to be in which coverage calls. And again, Greg Ward is able to uncover to the backside because man coverage Josh Norman has to fight through all the trash of the, the flat seven concept. So the Eagles seeing and, and realizing what was happening with the Redskins covering their bunch sets in the red zone got that Greg Ward play dialed up twice because they liked his ability to win against man coverage going through all that trash. And he did two times. Yeah. And Washington has, if I could tell you how many times I've seen Washington struggle with these types of concepts, not only in the middle of the field, but definitely in the red zone as well. Like, brother, it's it's been a lot. It's been a reoccurring issue for them. So I like that the Eagles attack them that way. Uh, I want to talk about Dallas Goddard real quickly. Number one, like the catch on the, 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 catch on the scissors one. The one-hander, absolutely beautiful. But I also thought that the uh, the perimeter screen stuff that the Eagles used was better. Like we're talking about that the the swing pass, the tap pass, all all that stuff to the running backs. But I also really like the one at quarter three seven oh six to Goddard, where they have trips on the right. You've got two on the left. Goddard is in the slot. They motion Goddard into the trip side. So you've got four to a side. You've got better numbers there. And then Goddard is able to show off his his ability after the catch, makes a guy miss and whatnot, and, and charges forward for some yards. So I thought there was some good creativity in that one. And overall, like Goddard, Ertz, we, we don't talk about them enough as how they work so well as a tandem when they're blocking. Ertz isn't near the liability he once was uh, as a blocker, as we said on the show before, but I'm going to keep saying it until it gets through to people. But overall, Goddard, really impressive in this game in my eyes. Goddard's always been good on screens, right? Because he's just yeah. like, listen, there's absolutely no way I'm spending any more time behind these blockers than I need to. I'm getting up yeah. and somebody, right? And like, while like the, he probably leaves some meat on the bone occasionally, he had a, a second quarter screen. It might have been a first quarter yeah. screen. I think, nope, it was second quarter, 15 minutes on the clock. I'm a genius. He had a, a second quarter screen where like he had like four blockers against two guys. He had three against two. And it's like, dude, 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 dude just wait. And he was like, no, nah, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go hit somebody. Um, but he he's very tough for the first dude to bring down in space. So he's a nice uh, screen player accordingly. But yeah, this quarter three screen, the one where the uh, he motions under the unbalanced set was the one that uh, spurred me on to say the Eagles have wide receivers blocking for tight end screens. Because J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is blocking on this play, and Dallas Goddard is catching the football. And if that doesn't tell you where we are as an offense, I don't know what will. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is our reality. Carson Wentz, 
impressive game throwing the football. Why do I say this? I want, I, I came in with the question, how did the Eagles get their running backs activated in the passing game? The answer was Carson Wentz was willing to check down the football in a way I've never seen him willing to check down the football before. And this was clearly a, a, a coaching point in the week because Carson was quick to check down. He was. Can, can I just say, I don't know how many different variations of spot concepts right. that the Eagles can run. But Carson read them well and checked down to like the snag guy like more than I've ever seen right. him. But I mean, he was point. so willing to take four yards to the back as a check down. And yep. then in the running game, there are reps in this game where Carson checks to a run against what is objectively an advantageous pass set. Quarter four, 12-51. The Eagles are inside the 20. Uh, it's it's Dallas Goddard and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside as wide receivers to the field side with, I'm not kidding, 10 yards of cushion. This is like bubble check until you die. Like Mm -hmm. this is, and like, there's no bubble built into this, but like, if you can check into slants off of this, you can do it. But at the snap, Carson brings Zach Ertz into the formation and runs against a seven on, on six box. So he, you know, zone read. So he like quote unquote holds the edge defender. He doesn't really, cause he never keeps it. I hate everything. And he gives it to Boston Scott inside zone six on six. Scott picks up four yards. I mean, this should on the chalkboard. This is a pass. You have insane disrespect in terms of leverage to your receiver. Trip side. Right. Yeah. You should absolutely do this every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Uh, there was another Boston Scott handoff, which was in the third quarter. I believe it's 10, 14 in the third. Yes, it is. Pre-snap. There's no one over Greg Ward. The Redskins are confused. By the time they get a guy to the snap, Greg Ward in the slot has 10 yards of leverage. J.J. Ortega Whiteside on the outside has 12 yards of leverage. And there's an actual bubble tag bubble. attached to this play. <laughs> yeah. This is bubble. This yep. is such a bubble read. The Redskins are plus one in the snap and you have 10 yards of leverage off your slot. This is a free six yards. Carson Wentz hands the ball off and gets four yards to Boston Scott. Now, not only is it a free six, you make one guy miss. One guy miss? It's a touchdown. And that's the thing is like, do you trust Greg Ward? Carson Wentz may not because right. he's not really, this is a practice squad he's not really played with. Now, what does this tell us? Well, in terms of checkdowns, I was very impressed because you can even go to the very next play, 951, second and six. Guess what the Eagles are in? Naked boot. There's no yep. pressure off this time because Dallas Goddard chips the edge defender. He releases into the flat. Carson throws it to him. It's four yards. Well, if you look about 15 yards down the field. Zach Ertz is beautiful little fake uh, fake post corner route on Landon Collins. He uncovers. He should be open for a 17-yard game. Carson Wentz does not take him. Honestly, I'm okay with that. I am. <laughs> and the reason I am is because you cannot go broke taking a profit, especially when your team is not built to handle third and six. And they are not. Your team is built to handle third and two. And so you throw this to Dallas Goddard. He's unable to make a player miss. It's a nice tackle in space from Danny Johnson, who we've made fun of so far. Uh, so it's a good tackle in space by Danny Johnson. This ends up being third and short. The Eagles pick it up first and 10. And then Carson goes deep to Zach Ertz. He doesn't get it. But the willingness to check down and just take positive plays, huge. I, I think when he when he's when he's rolling out, because he's rolling out to his left. So he was rolling, off, rolling to his off-ball hand. Maybe he recognizes the difficulty of this throw and is like, ah, I'm not. Carson has attempted this throw out to his left many, many times. A million times. But that's what I'm saying. 
Maybe that thought, because you said he's more willing to check down in this game than any other game. Maybe this is a sign of growth, or maybe it's an absolute outlier. Right, that's my thing, is I <laughs> yeah. I spoke of audacity versus maturity in terms of pocket management. To me, a four-yard right. pass to Dallas Goddard in this situation, while, you know, I think for a lot of quarterbacks, we would say, oh, this is so conservative. This is why Derek Carr sucks, because he never throws the ball down the field. To me, this is an example of where you could say maturity, because, again, you cannot go broke taking a profit. And for Carson, it's... I cannot try to get 20 yards on every single play, right? Like when the messaging to Carson a few weeks ago was like, just settle into the offense. I think the reason the messaging was that was because Carson was trying to get a first down on every single play and he was doing it with worse and worse weapons and with worse and worse protection on a weekly basis. And it was like, Carson, just take what we got. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's keep the offense on schedule. And there was a big, like, after the Giants game, there was like, see, the Eagles told Carson Wentz to rip in. It finally worked. Well, I'm here to tell you, film-wise, the last two weeks, Carson's done a better job taking what the offense has given him. So I don't really care what the verbiage is. He's executing <laughs> better in terms of the the the, the scheme and, and, and what's designed to be open. If you have Goddard for four yards, take Goddard for four yards, and we'll take Goddard for four yards all the way down the field. Can you believe Ben just called Carson Wentz a game manager? What's Right, exactly. Here? Kill me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so but so this is this is this to me like this is an example of the audacity versus maturity spectrum and figuring out a balance there in terms of game management you're on a good long meticulous drive you've already converted mo- uh, a third down third and nine on this drive you're in your opponent's territory it's nearly a tie ball game let's take four yards and let's get third and two which we will convert because we can run the ball really really well and then we're gonna have first and ten and we're gonna be able to take a shot and they took a shot and it was it was in- yep. unsuccessful but they did and so these are check down plays that, to me, illustrate Carson Wentz's uh, increased ability in the in the recent weeks to say, "I'm going to throw to this open man." Remember, remember when Miles Sanders was on the swing route against the Patriots, and Tony Romo was like, "Why are you throwing the ball 15 yards down the field? It's a seven point game. Just take Sanders." To me, this Carson Wentz would have taken Sanders, and there was mm. a lot of people like, "You know, you got to just do that. You got to just take that swing route, whatever." And I like didn't fully agree, but. This is this this Carson would be bet more capable of doing that. So I think that's a sign of maturity as a passer. Now the checkdowns in terms of checking run pl- passing plays, to run plays in terms of taking handoffs into neutral boxes instead of taking numbers advantages to bubble screens. That's a different conversation about does Carson want to throw the ball to Greg Ward or hand it off to Boston Scott because <laughs> it seems mm. like he wants to hand it off to Boston Scott and let that offensive line do its work. And that's where your offense is now going to become, I think, slightly too conservative and namely too predictable. Because But does that does that change with the Ward game-winning catch? Does he gain more confidence after right. he was able to find him on the last Great drive? Great question, right? Does does that final drive with Greg Ward, four targets, four receptions, 50 yards, game-winning touchdown, does this mean Carson is a little bit more willing to put the ball in Greg Ward's hands? Because an important thing to remember about Greg Ward's breakout game is that up until the final drive, it was a below-average game. You know, yeah. and, the t- and the two catches before the touchdown were against Danny Johnson. Yeah, and, and necessity <laughs> very much became the mother of in of invention we had to start throwing the football to somebody in the yep. wide receiver core and greg ward ended up being that guy and i think rightfully so i think he's playing better than robert davis and jj i think a wide side and josh perkins if you want to call perkins a wide receiver so he got those targets and he delivered that's excellent hopefully it, it spells more trust and the ability for the eagles to hit that wide receiver because you got to be able to throw that bubble to greg ward because running into eight man boxes with seven blockers when you have a bubble tag is not going to be successful in a long-term formula that's why you have the yeah. bubble tag is so that you can Throw that, that we call these constraint plays. Constraint plays force the defense to respect the idea of something such that you are able to get advantageous matchups elsewhere. You have to throw the bubble occasionally so that you don't always get 
10 yards off, 12 yards off leverage, and nobody's terrified of that. You have to bring those secondary players down, potentially put a safety over them, and now you get lighter boxes. So this is the idea of a constraint play. This is the idea of these package plays. The other thing is, so we see multiple reps where the Eagles have wide receivers who get 10, 12 yards of leverage, tight ends, flex. That was wide receivers. They get 10, 12 yards of leverage. When the Eagles are trying to run their hurry up, they're putting Miles Sanders and Boston Scott out there as wide receivers. They, to my eyes, the only pass plays that they have run with a running back flex out the wide receiver have been designed pass plays to that running back. <laughs> like Boston yeah. Scott comes in jet motion, then he gets a little flat pass, right? You're going to run out of capital there. This has been yeah. nifty for the last two weeks. You've made, you know, uh, chicken salad out of chicken beep, if you forgive my expression. Eventually, a defense coordinator is going to say, listen, I'm not covering him. I'm not putting a player over Boston Scott in the slot because you are not sending Boston Scott down the field. Yep. And and if you hit me on a seam route, congrats, but I don't think you're gonna. Mm-hmm. And so, they, they, you know, eventually you have to start being able to do something with these wide receiver alignments against these advantageous leverages because if you don't, you're going to be constantly running into bad boxes and playing into the hands of the defense. So it's going to be important for the Eagles to find a way to get defenses to respect their wide receivers. And it's going to start against Dallas. I mean, Doug just said uh, in the presser, uh, 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 Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Howard, unlikely to play. You, you've got the same personnel, so you've got to be able to figure this out. Interesting tweet just crossed my timeline before we get out of here that we're going to have to discuss on the next Kiss and Solak. This is from uh, Calvin Watkins, who covers who covers the Cowboys. He says, Dak Prescott had an MRI on his right shoulder, and Jason Garrett said it's hard for him to function right now. What? Holy crap. What? So I don't know what hard to function means as far as severity but number one he got the mri number two holy crap cooper rush (laughs) backup question mark this could be nothing it could be literally everything because if it's cooper rush oh boy brother listen i will not be able to deal with the eagles going down 17 to 3 to cooper rush i survived eli manning (laughs) i will not be able to do it again I mean, we're going to have to keep you updated on this, gentle listener. So keep it in, keep it locked into bleedinggreennation.com here at BGN. Ben, we've what already gone super hard long. What does to function mean, Jason? I don't, Jason? I don't. Oh, oh, man. I need well, clarity on this. That's the only thing I'm going to think about for the next day. It's massive. If it's anything, it's massive. All right, Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners who are, we have now just set into a tizzy. It's hard for me to function right now. Yo, wait. Steve Carrick uh, just said uh, uh, to the Inquirer, to Jeff McClain, Camus has been playing through significant pain for the majority of the 2019 season. This pain has forced him to take weekly pregame pain-killing shots and IV drips. The past week, the pain became unbearable, unbearable and it was determined he required a minor and minimally evasive back procedure to relieve the pain. He's expected to fully recover in three to four weeks. Camus is the ultimate team player who has given everything he has to this organization for the past four years. Oh, so back-to-back years of Eagles players playing through back injuries. I've got more on Dak, by the way. What's that? So he he went the he underwent the MRI, revealed no structural damage. So I'm assuming there's just an issue with functionality here. I also think there's an issue with functionality because he can't function, whatever that means. But it's clean. That the, 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 I don't know what that I don't know what that uh, means. I, I need don't, to know what this uh, means. Der, okay, they said he got injured in the first half. Like if he did, I didn't really notice in the game. I just watched through, but like I blinked snap. and it was thirty-one to seven. Listen, thank you as always for listening <laughs> to the Kiss and Solak show. We have some investigative journalism to do. So we have <laughs> some podcast. Thank you as always uh, for listening to the Kiss and Slog Show here on BGN Radio. We appreciate you swinging by. The Eagles, Redskins, 37-27, the final score. Uh, a game uh, once again 
similar issues that we've talked about all season, but positive growth from Carson Wentz, from skill position players, from some uh, uh, key members of the defense as well. The Eagles step into a Week 16 game against the Dallas Cowboys for the division, dealing with significant injury, once again beating back improbable odds as they look for a third consecutive playoff appearance. Under Doug Peterson, it's going to be a doozy, and it perhaps got even doozier with the news that just broke. We'll have you prepped for anything and everything regardless when we release our Dallas Eagles preview. Typically, two shows. Holiday weekend, one show, but it'll be jam-packed, ton of information. There's nothing that you will not know, so when you sit down with your family in preparation for Christmas and you watch America's Game of the Week, you will sound smart, we promise. Now, if you enjoy the show, Rate, review, and subscribe, please, on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Only a couple weeks left of the season, maybe even only one impactful week left of the season to review, to tell us how much uh, we've meant to you this 2019 season. Understand my fragile ego cannot go a day without hearing how important I am to you and how much I entertain you. So go ahead and drop a review. Tell me how much fun you have. Tell me what you enjoy. Tell us what you'd like to see as well as we transition to the playoffs and potentially into the offseason. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L I K. I've been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K I S T. We will catch you later this week. Underdogs do the thing, or whatever, however that phrase goes. We all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. Mm-hmm.